Bonjour and welcome to the Bitten Word. <laughs> I'm Christine. And I'm Ashley. Feeling very French today because today we're talking about the Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> oh, wee wee baguette. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, well, today is a bit of a melange because we're making croissants, but we're also mm -hmm. eating grapes and brie. Um, and so what we're, what we're really talking about, the meat of it is we're talking about croissants from the song, A Guy Like You. And when we talk, when we say The Hunchback of Notre Dame, we're talking about the Disney movie specifically, yes. though we will talk a little bit about the book and stuff. Um, you have to. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, in the song, A Guy Like You, they say that Quasimodo is shaped like a croissant. And so honestly, and that's really the extent of it. So honestly, this is just an excuse to talk about Hunchback. <laughs> <laughs> Which is okay because it is seriously underrated. Yeah. So, and then the grapes and the brie, um, I'll, I'll explain where those come from later. Um, I was going to say the brie. <laughs> Do you remember? remember the french guy yes that's what i was just thinking about when we went to central market and it was an honest to goodness french guy selling us cheese and we were like which brie is the best one and he was like oh this one and he was right it was the it tastes like butter it's like it the is, best brie i've ever so had good. in my life it's we so referred good. we refer to it as the cheese with a trademark symbol <laughs> Yes, we, we have certain foods that are trademarked, and that is one of them. <laughs> yes. well, and I and the other day when we were talking about this, I invented a new trademark that was not a food, but yes. I'll talk about it later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I was thinking that's very appropriate that we're doing that yeah. this episode. Um, unfortunately, I did not buy the, the cheese trademark today because I couldn't find it. So I, I bought a just a regular old brie at walmart and then i saw a double cream brie at kroger so i got that too <laughs> double cream is better than like just a regular brie and will's like why did you buy two brie <laughs> is even better yes that so. one that one the cheese is a triple cream brie and it's oh, so man. good oh guys just in case you're wondering it's saint angel brand so yeah. if you're ever in a fancy shop like a whole foods or something look for saint angel brie because you will triple cream brie mm. um i have found it in my cheese section at kroger and so you don't necessarily even have to be at a super fancy place but mm -hmm. you will more more than likely find it at somewhere that has like a cheese section that's got like yeah. fancy cheese or cheeses cut from wheels and stuff like that not just like you know your craft singles section yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so you have read hunchback of notre dame haven't you yeah, I read an abridged version in like middle school. Okay, so anyway, um, let's get into our, our plot overview of Hunchback. I figure most people have seen Hunchback, but I want to do it just in case you forgot something or just in case you don't know. Um, it's a bit long, so we're going to try to do it quick. Um, so Frollo, a judge, living in the 15th century Paris. By the way, this book was written in the 1800s it's set in the 1400s um, interesting yeah so uh frollo is a judge in paris and he's chasing gypsies which is how he refers to them in the book and how they're referred to them in the movie i guess the the correct term would be romani um but that's how they're referred to here um and a woman runs away with her baby to the steps of Notre Dame to try to claim sanctuary. Frollo rips her baby from her arms, thinking it's someone, something that she stole. And then um, as she falls, she dashes her head against the steps and dies. Frollo sees that it's a baby and that it's deformed, and he tries to drown him in a well, but the archdeacon from Notre Dame comes out and sees what's happening and stops him. And by the way, delivers the best lines in the entire movie, which <laughs> I'm going to repeat because I love them too much. Um, he says, see here the innocent blood you have spilt on the steps of Notre Dame, and now you would add this child's blood to your guilt on the steps of Notre Dame. You can lie to yourself and your minions. You can claim that you haven't a qualm, but you never can run from nor hide what you've done from the eyes, the very eyes of Notre Dame, as he's pointing to the saints that are carved into the outside of Notre Dame. It's like, yeah. that's just like, ugh, that scene gives me goosebumps. Um, <laughs> 
It's super interesting there too, because I, I don't know any of Victor Hugo's other works, but this is like a priest figure, right? And he is in the movie portrayed as super kind and wanting to help people and show them, you know, like he's portraying him as a really good guy. And yes. then there's the priest in Les Mis as well, who changes Valjean's whole life. So it's interesting because he uses the same type of character in both movies or in movies. Oh my gosh. In both books. But at the same time, they're different characters that are like, they're both bad guys, you know, at first, but then Valjean takes it and he runs with it and he changes his whole life. Frollo does not. Um, and it, I don't know if that was intentional or if he just like, if it's a study or if he just likes those characters or what, but it, it is interesting. Okay. Let's put a pin in that and keep it because I have something later that's going to Oh, be you do. I'm sorry. I took your thunder. No, it's okay. Um, but I have something kind of interesting to add to that. Um, so, okay. So let's just finish the plot really fast. So uh, Frollo, oh, by the way, the Archdeacon is voiced by David Ogden Steers, who I love. <laughs> I just <laughs> want to give him his little shout out, even though he died a few years ago. Um, so Frollo cares for the baby and he names him Quasimodo, which Clopin says means half formed, but it doesn't. Actually, the name Quasimodo just comes from Quasimodo Sunday, which is the day he was found. Um, and it's part of the Easter huh. week celebration. So I thought that was kind of interesting detail. Um, but he hides him away in the bell tower of Notre Dame. Years later, Quasimodo grows older and he never leaves Notre Dame, but wants to so badly spend a day amongst the people and live a normal life. So he's convinced by his, his which is such a great song. I know it really is. <laughs> um, so he's convinced by his gargoyle friends to go to the Festival of Fools, where he's crowned King of Fools for having the ugliest face in all of Paris. Yikes. Um <laughs> <laughs> Frollo sees him there and allows him to be tied down and whipped by the crowd after the crowd turns against him. Esmeralda, who is a gypsy, saves him and he falls in love with her. Frollo tries to have Esmeralda arrested for her insolence, but she escapes and claims sanctuary in Notre Dame. Then she escapes with the help of Quasimodo. Frollo vows, vows to find her so he can deliver the ultimatum, which is to be with him or to be burned at the stake. And then ultimately he catches her, tries to burn her at the stake. She's saved by Quasimodo and then Quasimodo kills Frollo and then Esmeralda ends up with Phoebus. <laughs> um, Does Quasimodo actually kill him? He just kind of like... Well, in the book, oh, he Quasimodo kills. Classic Disney villain death where he falls. Yes. In, in the movie, the he, does, he is about to, um, the the song there, I think it's called him, He Shall Smite the Wicked. And that's what Frollo says, is he raises a sword above his head and he's standing yes. on one of the gargoyles and he's like, and he shall smite the wicked. And he's about to like, like kill her slash Quasimodo. And then the gargoyle breaks and he falls into this like fiery death. And his, the wicked was smitten. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, well, especially because in that scene, the gargoyle turns from like mm -hmm. a stone face to having like a real face. And it's, it's like, like red eyes and yeah, and it's like face him. changes and it's like, uh, you know, and so that scene really does feel very much like God is smiting you mm -hmm. because the gargoyle like comes to life. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, this is really just like one of the best movies of all time i mean this is in my disney top five it's i love it so much and it is totally underrated it's got the score the art the themes the it's just yes it's got tom hulse as quasimodo kevin klein as um phoebus as phoebus and then demi moore as esmeralda mm -hmm. and jason Tony alexander J. yeah jason alexander tony j is um is Frollo. Frollo. yeah um he's also i know that his name isn't super recognizable but mostly because he's a voice actor yeah um but he did the voice of um the guy who owns the um like the sanitarium in beauty and the beast mm -hmm. um and then he also does the over like the narration at the beginning of treasure planet um, oh yeah i saw that 
which I only realized recently. He's also the name of the Elder God, or not the name, the voice of the Elder God in um, the Legacy of Cain series, if you've ever played that. Yeah, I've um, on IMDb. He does. He has done a lot of video game stuff. Yeah. Okay. I. Okay, so we talked about the um, the trademarked stuff. The one that I came up with the other day <laughs> was the note trademark (laughs) and this is something I've talked to Ashley about before but it cracks me up because in the very opening song the bells of Notre Dame um Clopin is like this character who just kind of serves as the narrator um and he is a character in the book he's the king of the king of like the he's the king of the gypsies I guess um but that's not his actual title but I can't remember what it is but he um he's narrating the backstory of like Quasimodo and Frollo and at the very end he belts out this outrageously high note that is like hurts my throat to listen to (laughs) it's it's like it's so impressive because he really gets up there and hit that's a note Mm -hmm. that I could not hit belting oh yeah like and he does it like nuts and so (laughs) that's the note I was thinking about that and it makes me think of like Brendan Urie particularly singing um into the unknown yeah. he does that and i'm just like what is going he, on he gets <laughs> up there he's got some lungs like well, and man. i think that i mean i'm impressed that he can do that because that's adina menzel's entire thing is just belting right yeah. and she built some pretty high notes in frozen and so the fact that he can do it and he can get way up there is really mm-hmm. impressive <laughs> it really is um but Oh gosh, the mu- the music, I'm going to talk about it a little bit and then I'm going to so talk about it again good. later. It's so good. And it's like, I watched some, okay, I watched a thing about the cast recording, cast recording of the 2016 production of Hunchback the Musical. And oh, I never had, heard that. I'm like, I've never listened oh, to that music. Is I hadn't, good? I hadn't either, but I, I was like, they played some of it in this video and it sounded incredible because they brought back Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz, who are like Disney royalty when it comes to like all of the really good scores that you know and love for, mm-hmm. you know, in like the 80s and 90s. 80s and 90s, yeah. Um, and <clears throat> they wrote some amazing like songs to fill in, you know, mm-hmm. like between the stuff, you know, from now. the movies. But like part of what makes it so good is because they use a lot of like, like Latin mass and like yes. liturgical stuff in like the choral and orchestral songs. Yeah. And it's just, it's amazing. You know, when I was watching it this time, I noticed that when Paris is burning and Frollo's going around, you know, creating all the fires, they have Kyrie eleison yeah. going on in the background, which is Lord have mercy. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is like spot on. They get, oh, they get, I'm getting like goosebumps just thinking I know, about me it. too. so good. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I, I got to save a little bit though, because we're going to talk about this in depth in a minute. Um, but like, so the movie is pretty different from the book. Like a lot of things exactly. are simplified or left out. It's like not even the same. Yeah. The only character that's even kind of recognizable is Frollo. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. There's a lot of things that are different. I, you know, Phoebus is a lot less like upstanding <laughs> than oh, he yeah. is in the he, movie he is not upstanding Phoebus is kind all. of a creep in the book yep um Frollo like basically rapes Esmeralda or at least tries to um Quasimodo so, is deaf um and yeah he has one he, eye. He's not, and he's not really a he's kind of like a grunt personality he he doesn't yeah. like he just kind of does what he's told yeah and Esmeralda is the biggest change because in the book, she is just like not even, she's stupid. She does not defend herself. She is completely and totally in love with Phoebus, even though it's op- very obvious that he cares nothing for her at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just kind of your very typical weak woman. Um you know, situation. And I think that they didn't feel like that would play well, you know, with a modern day audience. Um, Something also really interesting that happened in the book that was not shown in the movie. um, And I'm working off of my, I read this, you know, 20, 25 years ago, take care. But um, if I remember correctly, 
it Esmeralda and Quasimodo were switched at birth. They were. Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad I remembered that correctly. Um, and I can't remember what the ramifications of that were, but there was something like it was some big reveal at the end where you're like, what? You know, but I don't remember yeah. exactly what happened with that. I don't know what like the ramifications would be, but yeah, the the basic story is that when Quasimodo was born, um, they saw that he was deformed and they switched him with um, Esmeralda, whose name was not Esmeralda at the time. I can't remember what it was, but um, and so they gave her, they gave them Esmeralda and then they took Quasimodo and dumped him at Notre Dame where Frollo found him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the woman who had Esmeralda, I guess, thought like was told that she had died. Mm-hmm. Um, and they try to like exercise Quasimodo, like they think he's evil. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, but yeah, they were they were switched. I think that was a pretty typical practice, actually. Um, back then, babies who were like ugly or who acted a certain way they thought that like fairies they were changelings yeah they were changelings and then they would do the most outrageous things to them to see to get the fairy out or to get them back to their baby like things like where they would like burn them alive essentially and I'm like well how is a baby gonna survive that like obviously not well well it's I think it's probably in the same kind of sense of like well, you're a witch. We think you're a witch, so let's throw you in the yeah. pond. If you sink, you're not a witch, but you're already dead. If you float, you're a witch, and we get to burn you at the stake and you die exactly. anyway. Exactly. So you're going to die no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So going back to what you were saying about the priests. Yes. So you remember how I was asking you, is Frollo a priest or not? Yeah. <laughs> because people people talk about him like he's a priest and he obviously has a lot to do with the church but in the movie they only call him judge and so I figured out what that was in the book he is the archdeacon oh yeah and so in the book he's the archdeacon he's the one who finds Quasimodo just after the after his parents dump him and he raises him in the movie they made them two separate characters partially so that Frollo would have a foil so it's kind Mm -hmm. of interesting that you brought that up because it is like the archdeacon basically performs all the tasks that Frollo should have, which is where when his mom asked uh-huh. for sanctuary, you know, he came out and he was like going to give her sanctuary, but she was already dead at that point. And he says like, you can't kill the baby. You are responsible for the baby, you know? Uh-huh. And, and basically it's that the, the archdeacon portrays the idea that, you know, God's love is for everyone. Whereas like, that's one of like Frollo's biggest problems is that he like doesn't practice that. That is really fascinating because when you watch the movie compared to other Disney movies and other sanitization that they do of movies, like of stories, this one feels a little bit more raw, I guess. Mm -hmm. It feels a little bit darker than a lot of other Disney movies, but you saying that makes, they sanitized him. They, they made it so that he was more redeemable I guess or rather that he was less problematic because he wasn't a member of the church him being part of the church and acting the way that he did is part of what makes him so vile and and such Mm -hmm. a good villain because he's so like I don't know but there's a reason for that so I was looking this up and this is fascinating to me in early portrayals like in the 20s and 30s of Hunchback Mm -hmm. of Notre Dame um, the movies were subject to the National Association for the Motion Picture Picture Industry and the Hayes Code which were self-censorship codes applied to movies through the 20s and 40s and it restricted ridicule of the clergy amongst other things and so a lot of times they would make it so that Frollo wasn't a member of the church so that they couldn't be pegged for that wow or they would make it so that frollo wasn't the villain but his brother was the villain who and his brother is a character in the book that's really interesting Mm -hmm. Um, yeah that that really is interesting but that's slightly unfortunate because that's part of what makes frollo such a 
complicated and interesting character to read is because he is both of these things you know yeah well and so like it sounds like disney was not at the mercy of those codes right because those codes stopped in like the 40s and 50s but they followed the same kind of path because i guess they just wanted to remove him a step from the church so that they wouldn't get slammed by religious organizations and they actually ended up still getting in trouble um oh i'm sure that they did and I, well, it's partially because of the themes that they have going on and because like when Frollo is singing about how he's so attracted to Esmeralda mm-hmm. and everything, it's a very churchy atmosphere. Palace he's, of Justice. Yes, but it looks like a cathedral mm-hmm. because of the space and stuff. And he's got monks around him judging him with, you know, faceless monks. And um, he's he's singing you know, Ave Maria, he's singing to them and he, God have mercy on us. And it, it's, it's very church oriented. Um, so I can understand why some people may have gotten upset by that yeah. in a Disney movie, because they probably weren't expecting it. Well, there's so much here. I just, okay. I know. Okay. This I, is going to be like a three hour long podcast. Yeah. We're going to have to try to condense. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've talked about before how, I mean, like greatest Disney villain of all time. Honestly, what just one of the greatest oh, yeah. villains straight up completely. of all time. Yeah. But um, I know a lot of people will talk about like Maleficent and say like, well, she's the greatest villain because look how like, because all of the evil she does is just based on this pettiness that she wasn't invited to the christening, you know? Yeah, and I'm like, stupid. And yeah, she is pretty evil. Um, she is. But she's not better than Frollo no because because maleficent is pure fantasy the the thing that makes frollo such a good villain is because he's so real because the kinds of crimes he commits and the things he does are things people do in real life and like he uses the church as a cover yeah and here's the thing too is that maleficent is just straight up evil like she's telling people look i'm evil and i'm evil for people's sake yeah Yeah, there's no there's no layering there and with with frollo as well um he does use the church as a cover but i also wonder if he really does think that he is as good as he says he is um i okay so interest some interesting things about frollo um his appearance in the Disney movie was inspired by Stuart, Stuart Granger and Hans Conried of 5,000 Finger in, uh, sorry, the 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. If you look them up, he really looks a lot like them both. Oh, really? Um, but his personality was inspired by Ray Fiennes, who, if you don't know who that is, he played Voldemort in Harry Potter. Yeah. In, in what? In Schindler's List. I was wondering if that would be mm-hmm. it. Oh, my gosh. He's so, in Schindler's List, he portrayed Amon Goethe, who was a Nazi, who, and I quote, murders Jews but desires his Jewish maid. So it's like some super dark inspiration there. Yeah, and, that's and it's for a Disney movie. That's yeah. Like, <laughs> well, and it's interesting when you bring up the fact that he's like, like that he's layered, you know, and that he's mm-hmm. a complicated persona because I think he really embodies this, where it's like he hates Esmeralda and he hates that he feels like she's driving him to sin but it's like the his you know lust for her is so beyond like the realm of like normalcy you know Mm -hmm. that he's like willing to give into it or just straight up murder her yeah it's I mean he's it's fascinating to read about like where they came from like the designers and the people who were doing this just because like i don't know the inspiration they take for for frollo is is crazy just because he's he is he's so dark and there was so much of them talking about like they wanted like even though they had to change so much in um hunchback of notre dame from the book they wanted very much to capture like the essence of it still and they mm-hmm. felt like the only way to do that was to be like really true to like Frollo's character yeah. um and they you know said that when it came to the song Hellfire that they were like you know 
we don't even know if we're going to be able to get away with this, but it's really integral to understanding Frollo and his motivations. And like they were saying, they were going to like the people who were running, you know, Disney and were like, going to beg them, like, please let us keep this (laughs) in the movie. Um, And they said that, you know, there's the scene where you see Esmeralda in the flames and she's doing this like very erotic dance. Mm -hmm. And they were saying like, the only way we got away with that was by very carefully going through each scene and making sure she was fully clothed in the fire (laughs) in every single scene, like that you could see the outline of her, her top or whatever. Um, I don't know, those girls in Aladdin that the genie brings up, those are pretty sensual dancers too. Um, but I, so I got to talk about heaven's light and hellfire though, like Um, a little more in depth because that's like my favorite part of the whole movie and it's so good. And it's like, guys, if you have not like understood how good this movie is until now, you have to go watch it again. It's so good. Well, and people, what drives me nuts is that people just talk about Hellfire like it's the standalone thing and don't include Heaven's Light. But Heaven's Light to me is like part of what makes it so great because so like to set the scene for you, you've got Quasimodo singing about Esmeralda, this incredibly sweet song about this very you know, real and deep love that he has for her and how to her, he's just, he's an, you know, she's an angel and she is this light from heaven and she's pulling him from the darkness and she's everything that he's never had. And then it leads immediately into Hellfire, which is Frollo singing about his lust for her and how, and the ultimatum of be with me or I'm going to burn you at the stake literally and so it's just asking god to smite her so that he won't feel this way and that she's evil because she's bringing this on him and Mm -hmm. and stuff it's like the exact opposite of what's going on with quasimodo yeah and the titles too heaven's light hellfire hellfire and i uh and so on the bridge between the two songs they have the archdeacon who again is Frollo's foil they Mm -hmm. show him swinging the censer and like beginning evening mass and they are he and the uh, other priests are singing um oh what's it called I wrote it down and now I like can't find it they are singing the confitera prayer which is the repentant prayer and so like the entire part that they sing and it's all in latin and this is all stuff that comes from like real latin mass is all about confessing your sins and asking for forgiveness and that is what leads into this song about frollo like asking god to like take away this from temptation from him in the worst possible way but then also completely giving into it and so so they've got the the Gregorian chant and the Latin mass in the background of this entire song. And there's this whole scene where Frollo starts to sing, it's not my fault. And when yeah. he's saying it's not my fault is when the monks come up and they start mm-hmm. to sing mea culpa, which means my fault. They yeah. say mea culpa, mea maximum culpa. And interesting. And so, and that's part like of the, of the liturgy. And so it's like incomplete foil to what Frollo is singing about, where he's he's like repenting, air quotes, but sitting there saying, it's not my fault (laughs) and like placing the blame on someone else. And Mm -hmm. then after he's completely given in, you know, to this feeling and to this temptation, he backs away and he sings. God have mercy on me, God have mercy on her, and they're in the background singing Kyrie Eleison. Wow, that's really fascinating. This is why Disney is so good, because they get all of those (laughs) details. Like, it doesn't matter where you are. They do it in the movies, they do it in the parks, they, everything. They get all of the details. Yeah. Well, and this part is just crazy, because he's like, you know, he's repenting out loud, but clearly internally he is not repentant and Mm -hmm. it just makes me think of, yeah, they draw near to me with their lips, but they're far from me. Exactly. Which is like, just so fascinating to me. Um, (laughs) But something else I read that 
is fascinating to me is because in the scene where he is <laughs> praying in his what fascinating is our new excited the new excited <laughs> fascinating um it is so it's interesting <laughs> um so in his worst moment of lust instead of praying to god he prays to the virgin mary hmm. and he refers to her as such he calls her beata maria virgin mm -hmm. mary and so I just think that's a really interesting detail for him to it be is. praying to the Virgin when he's lusting so badly after Esmeralda. Like he thought that using her as the intercessor would be, you know, more appropriate. Very interesting. Um, and then one of my like other favorite lines in this movie is um, right before he sings the note, Klippa <laughs> asks... <laughs> Um, he says, who is the monster and who is the man? And mm -hmm. at the beginning in the Bells of Notre Dame, you know, it's like at face value, it's taken as, you know, Quasimodo and Frollo. Quasimodo's the monster and Frollo's the man. But then he asks it again in his reprise of the Bells of Notre Dame at the very end of the movie. And it's very clear that Frollo is the monster and Quasimodo mm -hmm. is the man. Right. And so I just, I, uh, this movie. It's so good man <laughs> we, I know, yes exactly we got to get off it though because we got to keep going um so okay <laughs> we got so much other stuff to talk about i so we got to talk about croissants i don't remember all of this so tell me again the legend of how croissants were made oh okay um shoot i'm trying to remember country okay <clears throat> so this is sometime in like the 1600s, I want to say, um, because that's, I think, where we're reading about in our history books. So sometime in the 1600s, uh, the Ottoman Empire was trying to take over Vienna, um, and they were tunneling under the city. Like, they would just literally like dig tunnels under the buildings and then come up under the buildings and start fighting people. And so the whole city of Vienna was told, okay, listen, you have to listen carefully so that you can hear them digging and then stop them. So one morning there was uh, a bakery, you know, some bakers that were in there very early in the morning while the whole city was asleep and they heard the tunneling and they um, were able to stop the people who were trying to tunnel up and it was like a big victory and afterwards they created a new type of bread to commemorate this victory and it was crescent shaped like the flag of the Ottoman Turks um, like their symbol to say look we beat them and that's where croissants came from allegedly yeah, that's yeah the legend of where croissants yeah, came. Who knows? We don't what actually, actually know. Happened. Yeah. Okay, so apparently the earliest mention of croissants as we know it is from the 1830s, hmm. which is pretty which is pretty funny considering the book is set in the 15th century. Well, um, I'm sure they weren't mentioned in the book necessarily. This is <laughs> I know. I just it's funny. Um, but the 13th century precursor um, to croissants is the Kipferl from Austria. And oh, so there you go. Yeah. And it is a yeast bread roll in the shape of a crescent. Um, and if you haven't figured it out, croissant means crescent. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and then uh, just kind of a funny thing is that in the 70s, I guess croissants became really like popular in the u.s and became like really americanized as we started like using them for sandwiches and making like almond versions and even getting them from fast food places like mcdonald's and burger king almond croissants are so good <laughs> um and so i thought that was just sort of a funny detail um but croissants are what you call a laminated dough they're made in the same style as like a puff pastry and so basically you 
you know, roll out your dough, roll some butter in there, fold it up, roll it out, fold it some more. And you keep doing that until you have like over a thousand layers of butter and pastry. And that's what, so basically once you get it in the oven, it, uh, the butter melts, leaving all of these little layers where the bread has already expanded and it creates just this very flaky, layered, fluffy deliciousness, buttery deliciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the scene, um, so this is kind of a, a merge of two particular scenes. Um, so the first is during the song, A Guy Like You. Um, like we talked about. Um, And so the song is mostly sung by Hugo, who is voiced by Jason Alexander. Um, He's a gargoyle. Yes, he's a gargoyle. Um, And if you never figured it out, the gargoyles are named Victor and Hugo and Laverne. And so the two of the gargoyles are named after Victor Hugo, who wrote the book. And then Laverne, I think I read, was named after Laverne and Shirley. (laughs) (laughs) For whatever reason. But so this song is just about um i guess quasimodo kind of realizes that esmeralda will never love him um and so his gargoyle friends are trying to cheer him up and they sing the song a guy like you basically saying you're one of a kind you know how could anyone not love you and he says um we all have gaped at some adonis but then we but then we crave a meal more nourishing nourishing to chew yeah and he says although you're shaped like a croissant is (laughs) and since you're shaped like a croissant is because they were talking about food okay so here's my deal though these these gargoyles are being like those really crappy parents who send their kids onto american idol to audition and are like you're so good you're the best singer there ever was and then they get in front of the judges and they like cannot sing at all and I'm like okay this is kind of like child abuse here (laughs) yeah I can't believe that you were telling them that they are that good when really your role as a parent in this situation is to say maybe you should find another dream (laughs) (laughs) and that's what they're doing here it's true I was thinking that too because as great of a guy as Quasimodo is Esmeralda is like a 10 and Quasimodo is like a two (laughs) you know (laughs) and so i which is so mean you know but like he's he's quasimodo it's just not likely especially since they i mean they've already kind of established in the movie that there's gonna be a thing between her and fetus you know so it's like it's obviously not gonna happen yeah and right after this scene um esmeralda shows up carrying an injured fetus with her yeah you know, and then she like takes care of Phoebus and, and they kiss and Quasimodo sees it and he's like heartbroken watching them kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it, it really was. It was kind of a terrible buildup, particularly right before he saw her kiss Phoebus, exactly. you know. Yeah. Um, so I actually just remembered that um, I found this thing that said in 2010, uh, a British researcher found evidence suggesting that there was a real-life hunchback stone carver who worked at Notre Dame during the same period that Victor Hugo was writing the novel and that they may have even known each other. So Quasimodo might actually be based off of a real person. Like, very, very loosely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. That That's really the entirety of it. It's just that they say you're shaped like a croissant. I had never made this connection before. But during that song, they give him a makeover Mm -hmm. and he comes out with this big white fancy wig that would have been worn like in the 1800s. And I guarantee you it's a nod to the fact that Tom Hulse played Mozart in Amadeus. Oh, yeah. Guarantee you there's that whole scene where he's wearing the wigs and he's like, they're all so beautiful. Why don't I have three heads so I can wear them all at once? Exactly. Well, and yeah. And that's funny. I mean. That's like obviously Tom Hulse's greatest moment, right? Is playing Mozart in Amadeus. Oh, if um, you haven't seen Amadeus, that's an amazing. You must. Movie. That's like top ten movie for me. It's so. Don't get the director's cut though. That one's boring. Get get the like movie, like the theater cut version. It very um, well could be because Amadeus was made in the eighties and Hunchback yeah. was the nineties. Yes, exactly. Um, And that's how people would have known who he was because he still wasn't like a household name. The only other movie I can think that he's in is Parenthood. Um, Yeah. Bummer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
which and that's the movie parenthood not the show parenthood which again is a great movie and you should go watch it it's got steve martin and don't watch it with your kids steenburgen yeah it's (laughs) kids out of the room though not not good for that movie um but Amadeus, yeah, is an excellent, excellent movie. And I, I guarantee there was no reason for them to do that scene or to do that makeover scene yeah. without that. So I bet that that's why they did it. You're right. That's funny because I was thinking when I saw that, I was like, this was not a style that they had in exactly. century yeah. France, you know? And so that is that was a good catch. That's a good one. Um, okay, so the other scene that we're talking about here which is where like the grapes and stuff comes from it's actually kind of like two scenes that i've merged into one scene (laughs) so (laughs) it's a lot of scenes so at the first at the beginning of the movie right before he sings out there frollo comes and he brings him lunch or whatever and he brings him like bread and grapes and possibly cheese i don't remember honestly i threw the brie in here because i wanted to eat brie because i feel like it yes (laughs) it's it's really the croissants and the grapes that i know for sure are here but he um he brings him like some wine and he brings him some grapes and stuff and he's like let's review your ABCs. And I love mm-hmm. Quasimodo's ABCs because they are like the epitome of like guilt-ridden Catholicism. Yeah. <laughs> um, as he says, A is for abomination. B is for blasphemy. C mm-hmm. is for contrition. D is for damnation. And E is for eternal damnation. Yeah, yeah I love the way he says it, eternal damnation. Yeah. <laughs> he says, good. <laughs> so it's just a funny scene. Um, and he yeah and but something i think is really interesting about that scene is that he brings out a plate and a cup for each of them and i wrote that down too you did yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, so i just this is so like indicative of frollo's character to me because frollo has probably pewter i'm guessing like plate and goblet and there's like a goblet like it's it's got like filigree and it's fancy and they're Mm -hmm. like nice it's a nice table setting quasimodo literally has like a wooden board and like a little wooden cup like (laughs) and that's smaller like it's shorter yeah shorter and smaller frollo's are yep and so it just really like indicates the like vast difference in status between the two and obviously how Frollo sees them. Um, and that that scene too, that whole lead up to Out There, which is probably like my favorite part of Out There, um, is, is so good because you see how manipulative Frollo is. Oh my gosh. The stuff awesome. that he's saying, because the entire thing is like, like the world is bad. It's cruel and wicked. And I am the one who is saving you. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm the only one who loves you. If you leave, they'll hate you. They'll make fun of you. They'll ridicule you. And Quasimodo is just like, yes, I love you. Yes, I trust you. Yes, you're saving me. And it's just like, he makes it so that he's Quasimodo's whole world. And so that he'll never leave when really he's just keeping them there to make his life easier and also just to use him when the time comes so interesting because it's so obvious that Quasimodo is miserable mm-hmm. and that he hates it but also that he is lapping it up yeah. like that he is he just takes it at face value and he's like oh but but even knowing that even thinking that he has this savior he is still miserable you yeah. know so that I'm like there's an indication that something is wrong right there yeah <laughs> you know? I think and I think that's probably really true to life of abusive relationships like that. Yeah, they you know, very well could be. Yeah, because Frollo sets him up as I am your savior. I am the one keeping you safe. And even though Quasimodo hates it, he believes that what he's saying is true. Yeah. Um, so the other scene which is very similar is that Frollo comes and again brings him like grapes and stuff and they sit and they eat but in this scene um Quasimodo is hiding Phoebus this takes place directly after guy like you after uh Esmeralda brings or brings Phoebus to him and Phoebus has been been shot by an arrow um Frollo thinks he's dead but he wants to find out where Esmeralda is and he realized that Quasimodo let her go and so he um Phoebus is hidden under the table where they're eating and 
you know, basically Frollo is trying to get Quasimodo to like admit that he helped her. And then eventually just is like, I know you helped her, you know? And even in that moment, you know, he like basically like wipes all, swipes all the stuff off the table with his hand and yells at her. I know you helped her escape. He like burns the little figure of Esmeralda, but then he like realizes he's let his facade slip. And then he goes immediately back into like, oh, but you're just a poor, a poor dumb child and you were taken in by her and it's okay, I'll save us from her, you know, and so that like is also a very interesting scene just in the way that he treats Quasimodo because even up to that point, he's still, you know, planning to use him to his advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where the, the grapes come from, the grapes and the... Um, non-existent brie but (laughs) um but i imagine that's what he had in his basket because first he had like wine and grapes and bread and i imagine there was like some cheese in there too because they're french and you can't like not eat cheese in france (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah it's a (laughs) that just brought to mind a memory that i've not thought about for a long time (laughs) (laughs) okay so in eighth grade, uh, my English teacher put together a uh, spring break trip to Paris for anybody who wanted to go. And I sang on the downtown streets of Dallas for money to go on this trip. Yeah. Um, so I went and, um, you know, I was rooming with my friend and the last day that we were there, I went with somebody else not not the girl who was staying with me in the room um but we went down to like a little market on the street and I bought some cheese and I brought it back to the hotel room and it was like a stinky cheese okay (laughs) and so she walked in the hotel room after I'd been in there for like an hour with this cheese and she just like her whole face was like wait a minute (laughs) she was like what happened And I was like, it wasn't me. It's the cheese. And she's like, oh, okay. I like how she said what happened like it was an incident and not like, what is that smell? (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, and we're back for croissants. Um, what did you think of this recipe? Well, I don't know. I haven't taken a bite yet. Oh, you haven't? Oh, okay. Oh. You sent me that text. And you're like, I don't know where you are, but I'm about to eat this croissant. And I, <laughs> and I thought of, are you sure? I'm about to put this spoon in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, let me take a bite. It, I mean, it's, they're pretty, they, they're, I can already tell though, that it's not like a proper croissant because we yeah. used a quick recipe because we had a real recipe, but then we both looked at it last night and we're like, oh, we were supposed to start this like six hours ago. <laughs> so we found a different recipe real quick. Okay. Yours already looks fluffier than mine did though. You think so? I don't think mine rose. Like I, I, I feel like the it's a weird recipe. So I didn't grate the butter in. Like he's so this recipe said to grate the butter in. I did it like traditional style. But oh, with like a, you like pounded the butter out and made a yeah. slab of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I followed the rest of the recipe, but he's like, use cold water, mm. use cold milk, then add them add the yeast. And I feel like the cold water and the cold milk screwed screwed up my yeast. Really? I don't know that mine really rose properly either. I've got I've got some little holes in there, but it's not like a real croissant. Yeah, I feel like like mine didn't rise very, at all, and they were just too dense so that they didn't even really cook all the way through. They were a bit raw in mm-hmm. the middle. Yeah, hmm. um, mine don't seem to be taste good. Flavor's yeah. good. Yeah, they tasted fine. Like Paul Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, not flaky enough, but the flavor's good. <laughs> Mine, mine ended up being like very, very small because I cut them a weird way. I got like nine out of this recipe. 
How many did you get? I did 12, but it's because I, I like cut all my strips and then was like, Oh wait, I have to cut these into triangles now. And, but they were like already in too skinny of strips. And so I ended up with really skinny triangles. Gotcha. Well, I think the flavor is good. Um, and we'll post this recipe so that you can give it a try if you want to, but, uh, on this, well, I guess we could post the one that you originally had wanted to do. Oh, I don't um, know. I've well. never made that one though. I don't know. If that's oh, okay. The... Well, on this website, he has links for traditional real croissants as yeah, well that you could give a try. Yeah. I don't know. I just, it like, I don't know. They weren't, I don't, I feel like maybe I just have bad luck making croissants because last time I made croissants, I think I didn't roll it out thin enough. And so like I was, they came out enormous and I just like had issues again with them cooking all the way through. Mm. And so well, I think maybe rolling them out thin enough is an issue for me. Maybe, maybe. Um, I, I actually measured it to what he said. It was mm. supposed to be like 20 centimeters by 60 centimeters because I was trying to get the right increments there. So what this tastes like to me is like a slightly more buttery, slightly flakier snail roll, just like your normal yeah. dinner roll that's like rolled up like this, you know, yeah. which is not bad. It's it's actually very tasty and I think it's pretty good, but it's just not a croissant, you know? Yeah. I feel like croissants have to be airy, flaky, and then have that kind of buttery text, like buttery mm-hmm. mouthfeel and flavor. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if they're not super like pillowy and airy, then it's not a croissant. If it's, if it's yeah, denser, it's a dense, yeah. yeah, then it's not, but he did, but yeah, I mean, he did say this is a, a quick recipe. And so yeah. I do wonder if it's not other recipe was better. Yeah. The, well, the pictures of his real recipe look spot on. Like they oh, look yeah. Perfect. So <laughs> this is kind of a funny episode because it's like the croissants didn't have very much bearing on the plot and the croissants were like nothing to talk about. You already like, said that it was just an excuse to talk about the movie. <laughs> I know, but even even like eating the croissants, I feel like was just kind of like, yep, croissants. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, Thanks for joining us for today's episode um, of The Bitten Word. We hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you liked it, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Um, If you want to see- Tell your friends. Yeah, tell your friends. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean for that to be like mocking of the (laughs) Anyway, if you want to see pictures of the food we make um, and get recipes, you can follow us on Instagram at the Bitten Word Podcast or on Twitter at the Bitten Pod. You can also email us with comments, questions, or recommendations at the Bitten Word Podcast at gmail.com. Stick around next week because we'll be making pasta puttanesca from a series of unfortunate events, book one, The Bad Beginning. Mm-hmm. So until next week, happy watching and ha ha ha. Ha, 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 ha.